0: Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, October 25th, 2022, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday, and this Sunday is October 30th. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time. We say Eastern Time because for our friend Charles Willard in Minnesota on Central, that's 5.30 a.m. Our little teams working, be faithful to Lectionary Year C. And that puts us in the Gospel of Luke again on Sunday. Here's the way it works. We hope the discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. And the way we handle it is the lead off person shares some formative questions. And then in this virtual discussion room, we share, encourage, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion.
1: Charles Miller.
2: Bill Hall in St. Petersburg, Florida. Good morning.
3: Sarah Mickelson, and I'm in Tampa, not San Francisco. (laughs) And I'm Don Upton. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, also
0: not in San Francisco. And our leadoff person is Sarah Mickelson. She's prepared some really challenging, exciting questions today. Hello, my friend. What is the good news?
3: Welcome to the story of Zacchaeus. I love this story in Luke chapter 19, we're looking at verses 1 through 10. This story falls quick on the heels of the story of the young ruler who came right before this. So uh, with that thought in mind, I want you to interweave these stories together. Also, last week we visited two men praying, um, one a tax collector and one um, a Pharisee in church. So that story also shadows this story a little bit. Um, So I'm going to begin in verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man there named Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector, and was rich. And he was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. We're not sure if that's Jesus said short or Zacchaeus said short, just a footnote. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him. Because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down. I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. (laughs) Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. And that ends the reading of our scripture. Mark Davis reminds us in his blog, Left Behind and Loving It, that Jericho is the last town between Jesus and Jesus. In Jerusalem. Mm. Jesus answers the crowd's question from the rich young ruler's story in Luke 18. Who then can be saved? Zacchaeus, as the name, means pure and innocent. Is there some irony here? We don't know. Matthew reminds us that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God from the Sermon on the Mount. Both the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus come to Jesus to see. From all appearances and social expectations, the rich young ruler had everything needed to be saved, and yet he walks away from salvation. In thinking about the social norms and appearances, what is similar or different about Zacchaeus when considering the rich young ruler? What do you think, Don?
0: Thank you for the question. A good, I think a great one for folks that are preparing for discussion groups and classes, which is part of our mission uh, for the listener. Both men, I think, are managing systems beyond the scope of most people. Uh, they and their systems impact more lives than most, and each has controls over the flow of assets. So there's some similarities there. I see a great deal of uh, economics and village dynamics in their work, I think. And on the other hand, the rich young ruler appears to be an accepted authority, Accepted, I'm underlining the word accepted authority, dealing with infrastructure that is important to many of Jesus' listeners, while Zacchaeus's title and his behaviors make him an outcast to those who understand and accept the rich young man's role and title. So there's a difference. And I, I think, Sarah, the vibe on the street and in the rooms where the two men may enter on any day is palpable. The differences are palpable. I think, but they're quite different. Um, and in getting into the story, there's an implication that the assets are neither good nor evil in their own right, which I think is uh, can be a danger. That it's not the asset, it's the heart. But when combined with the title and the behaviors, the assets really matter. There's also the implication that the assets don't necessarily shape the heart of the wealthy at all. I'm drawn to that. At least wealth doesn't have a definite outcome when it comes to the hearts of its possessors or controllers. Uh, There's all kinds of sayings in in world history about how wealth corrupts and wealth wrecks us. And I I think there's a little distance here on that one. It's more about the heart. Uh, So I'm wondering, is it possible the rich man – saw his assets as his own without further insights or consideration. So it's, it's, the, uh, it's, a, it's a story of exclusivity and the exclusivity of thinking and behavior, not necessarily the money. Uh, and Nicodemus saw his assets in a more dynamic way, even though he may have misused them. He saw them in a more dynamic way and in the context of his faith and in the context of the observable world. Hey, Sarah, I heard you say the word see a couple times. Uh, so he, 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 he absorbed the observable world in a different way. And in that way, I'm thinking Jesus is lighting up the systems map as Nicodemus has this experience. I mean, Zacchaeus has this, uh, this experience. It's like he's lighting up his synapses, but the information's already there. So the rich young man gets the interpretation of the eye of the needle thrown at him, uh, Zacchaeus gets the words like salvation. You've got one, the eye of the needle, the other is salvation. And I wonder if it's more like with the eye of the needle, someone is drawing a picture of what you think the eye of the needle is. And in one, you have a person that's trying to shove a giant bag of gold coins through the gate and they can't do it. And then a different illustration paints a person attempting to pass through the gate, just a person, and it works. And the third illustration shows a person with a giant bag of coins with his arms wrapped around it, and he can't get through the gate either. So I'm suggesting that the starting point for the comparisons you suggest, Sarah, is exclusivity thinking, that it puts such guardrails in our ability to interact with the fabric of society, you can't see it. And Zacchaeus had it. He had the capability. And it was a real breakthrough. I do think about synapses lighting up when you think about systems. So those those are my starting points, Sarah.
3: Thank you, Don. Charles, what are your thoughts?
1: You're muted. No comment right now. Okay. Bill, what are your thoughts?
2: Sarah, it surprised me a bit when I got your questions that I don't recall ever it ever occurring to me to put these two stories side by side. So uh, you prompted something new for me. Um, interest a couple of notes and and thank you, Don, for your description about the economics. I want to listen to that again <laughs> when I watch this recording. Um, The rich young ruler story Is in Matthew 19 Mark 10 and Luke 18 So all three synoptic writers deemed this story important to tell However the Zacchaeus story Is only in Luke Now I don't want to make too much of that I will in another question Comment on its placement In the gospel of Luke But for now Just note, and by my reading, the three synoptic accounts of the rich young ruler do not differ in any important way. Uh, I I find all the details to be very similar. And I think I'm making your point maybe in a different way, Don. The ruler highlights his personal righteousness. (laughs) I've done all these things. And Jesus doesn't dispute that. Uh, So, taking the story at face value, uh, he, apparently the rich young ruler, was by all accounts uh, a very moral person who was diligent in following the requirements of Torah. But then Jesus says, something is lacking. Sell what you have, give to the poor, then come and follow me. Matthew and Mark, in their account of the rich young ruler, uh, do not record the man's response, but Luke adds, when the ruler heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. That juxtaposing of richness and sadness is fascinating for me. We may be well advised not to make too much of it, but there's a poignancy to that, that he has so much. And yet there is a sadness. Now, in each of the three synoptic accounts, those around, in one case, I think Matthew says the disciples, Mark and Luke just say those around, then who can be saved? And in each, Jesus' response is essentially the same. For mortals, it is impossible, but for God, all things are possible. Now, by contrast, Zacchaeus According to Luke's account, he immediately promises to seek to make amends, demonstrating <laughs> that with God, all things are possible. Now, why the difference? We're not told. One, Both people of wealth and influence and authority, and one clings to the barrier, the other addresses the barrier, his misuse of his authority, which to me is at the essence of this for both. And again, maybe, Don, that was part of what you were saying. They both, in our language today, have powerful agency. Jesus did not ask them uh, to become powerless, but he asked them to let go of what was the impediment. Um, my response is a work in progress, Sarah, so I'm going to stop there because I'm still, may I use the word, mulling over your question. Thank you.
3: You know, I, I just love how these two, when you put the stories side by side, you get this opportunity to look at the heart of humanity. Um, you get this, and they could almost be the same person. Um, with the richling ruler struggling to let go of the thing he treasures most. And then we have Zacchaeus, who is the counterpunch to that, or, or the contrapuntal presentation. as um, this lovely parallel to that. Now, I will put a footnote here that Mark Davis draws our eye to the, the verbs that are used as Zacchaeus talks about what he does. Um, Mark Davis encourages us not to think of them as I will give, but yet presents us with the idea that I currently give. So it's almost as if Zacchaeus does this distasteful job, and yet does it in such a way that he conforms and stays true to the instructions of Torah. And he goes even further to say i give to the poor i give i give back fourfold rather than i will give implying that this is his current mode of operation so i'm i'm touched by this idea that maybe we see someone who handles money and doesn't treasure money now he's a rich man so he's he's made the wealth in a way um doing something that everybody in his culture would consider Abhorrent, so I, I like this sense of joy that we get from zacchaeus 's response, and we don 't get that from the rich young ruler and you 've made a note bill about the sadness there um, and Don, I think you 're right, I think that the rich young ruler feels the money generation was his doing, and was it is his wealth his sense of um, what his heart is about. Um, and that it's his assets versus God's gifts, whereas Zacchaeus sees the situation slightly different. Um, I think that as human beings, we struggle with this. I think that that as Americans, we struggle with this. Um, I wonder how often we choose to imagine the goodness that comes to us as our own doing and not as... The bounty of God falling on us in a way that is similar to that of our neighbor and and um, and those around us. Um, so I I kind of wanted to refocus a little bit on Don. You touched on it the the good and evil of the heart, and Bill, you spoke a little bit about it on just the perspectives of of the rich young ruler versus Zacchaeus and the work that they do. So I thought it was really valuable to to look at these two characters side by side, and introduce ourselves to them, and say, do you recognize parts of this and parts of that? Do you recognize these characters?
1: And where does Sarah, where, where should our heart be? Yeah. Excuse me. I just I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss something out along the way here. In my in my translation, verse nineteen eight. Zacchaeus said, uh, stood there and said to the Lord, look, half my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have deported anyone of anything, I will pay, I will pay back. He, he, he's not saying he, I do this in my translation. Mark Davis points out that the New Revised Standard Version
3: suggests that it's future tense, but the actual text is present tense in the original text.
2: And Sarah, Mark Davis is not the only commentator to raise that possibility of translation. Okay. And I
3: not say it's a possibility of translation and not the emphatic understanding. But the idea being that maybe Zacchaeus is already doing these things.
1: Doesn't then, that does doesn't that mess up the, some of the ways in which the whole thing is interpreted? Or does it answer
3: the question better, who then can be saved?
0: (coughs) Or let's do it both ways when you're leading a group. I dare you. (laughs) Do it both ways. Because two days down the road, if Charles is right, he is doing it. This is the place in time. So you scoot it down. He is or he will be. For me, it's uh, no matter which way you put it, I believe I will. He's going to do it. There's no debate about, is he going to do it? He's going to implement. Now, if he's done it in the past, he's actually doing it. If he's going to do it in the future, there's no. not a cliffhanger
3: like he's going to go back and he lied. He's going to do this.
0: Yes. That's the
3: central point. And and, uh, to your point, Don, we've talked about this before. Sometimes doing the work of the Lord doesn't mean leaving your job. Sometimes doing the work of your Lord means doing your job to the best of your ability. And I like the idea of both of those. So, Charles, you're right. I, I just think that we have um, the opportunity to consider Zacchaeus as both going to do or Zacchaeus already does these things. Now it seems to me that if Zacchaeus were already doing these things, he wouldn't necessarily be the most despised person in the room. So I'm I'm kind and of on the-,
0: the label is so abhorrent he can't get out from under it. But he's still ha- he's still doing. He can't yeah. he's how about he's trapped? I mean he he's a tax collector till he died and he will be despised. Yeah. But he still does.
3: Right. So that, for me, laying these two characters side by side is a a great insight to me, especially when the question being addressed is, who then can be saved? And I think Jesus does some, and maybe Luke, too, choosing to put this story right following the rich young ruler story brings us to that conclusion. Um, It may be artificial in the part of Luke doing it for us, but I think that we're given that opportunity to lay them side by side. Does that help? You're the boss. <laughs> Question number two. What connection do you make between salvation, homecoming, and the idea of being who you are, where you are, um, supposed, and being who you are and where you are supposed to be? I want to thank a a comment. Somebody that made comment to one of Mark Davis's blogs. His name is Fortin Church, and he made this comment on October 30th, 2019. But it set my mind to spinning, so I really liked it. Um, So, what connection do you make between salvation, homecoming, and the idea of being who you are and where you are supposed to be? Keeping in mind that we have several items in Chapter 18. um, And in the book of Luke, being the prodigal son, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and a couple other things that have come home, uh, how does that relate to salvation? And is there a connection in your mind? What do you think, Bill?
2: Again, an interesting juxtaposing, Sarah. I I saw that comment also, uh, but I'm grateful that you picked up on it. In our text, it says that when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. (laughs) So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. And then um, in uh, Luke 4, where Jesus is preaching, and when he finishes the scripture, he says, today The scripture has been fulfilled I know you didn't highlight the word Today but I think that Sense of immediacy um, You know the thief On the cross today you will be with Me in paradise I I find that Encouraging that it's Not just a future hope But today Today here and now uh, Scripture can Be fulfilled now I'm Somewhat repeating what you said Sarah in question one Zacchaeus does not Say he will resign from Tax collecting Your your question is of being where you are Supposed to be Nor does Jesus ask you To do um, It reminds us Of John the Baptist Tax collectors came to him and Because Don is preaching this fiery Message of repentance And John the Baptist doesn't say that tax collectors, resign your post. He says collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Now, where I go with this may or may not be legitimate, but it strikes me that we all live in systems of governance that have within them some form of injustice. I believe that. Uh, I think it's First Samuel 18, where Samuel is trying to talk the people out of getting a king, and then delineates for them what kings are going to do. They'll confiscate your property. They'll send your sons and daughters off to war. Uh, they will collect wealth for themselves. So uh, I doubt that anyone. I'm looking at right now or any who listen to this would argue that every system of governance has within them some form of injustice. So what I mean by that, Sarah, is wherever we are, wherever we're supposed to be, we're going to face into injustice. Uh, and we've commented many times in Pinellas County. I'm involved in FAST. You folks in Hillsborough County hope these are grassroots grassroots, uh, Interfaith, nonpartisan Groups of people Of faith working for Justice, which means We're challenging Some things that we believe are Examples of injustice So it's, it's Fascinating for me That Jesus goes Home with Zacchaeus And perhaps in a way Is affirming Where Zacchaeus is and that within that system fought with injustice, Zacchaeus is willing in his own, as true for all of us, in his own limited way to help justice roll down like waters. Thank you for the question.
1: What do you think, Charles? Am I on now? Yep. Okay. I do want to share something that I ran across in the process of preparing for these uh, this this conversation, and it was a, um, it was an article by a, a, a professor and a teacher and a scholar that I've followed often. Her name is Barbara Brown Taylor, and she writes, uh, and I commend it to you because I'm not going to try to read or summarize the whole thing. But she writes about a story. Uh, it's a story that uh, where she took. Some of her college students uh, off into, as it were, in the, in the woods. Ten of us went to the church parking lot one hot sun August morning. After having exchanged sticky hugs and anxious par- parents, we piled into our late Model Four rental van, drove to the land of tar and paper pack shacks with skinny dogs in the yard. Our destination was Barnes Mountain, and she goes on to describe their, their encounter with this other group of Christians. Who were engaged in doing some work that, uh, well, what city slickers would be doing, loading 50-pound uh, bags of mortar with a rusted-out wheelbarrow. In the end, uh, they get they make friends. One of the resident, one of the people in this group is a, is a person named Dwayne, and they they like Dwayne. Dwayne becomes a, a, a collegial part of the group, and everything works well. And then at the end. Uh, they got they 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 all recognize, or themselves they recognize that that uh, Dwayne is in a, in, a, in a completely different context from them, and they 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 feel bad about this. But Dwayne he doesn't say anything in the group, but later Barbara talks to him, and it, it turns out he was astounded. He didn't think of himself as being so bad uh, or in such in such in such tough straits. He said, "You call me poor. I never thought of myself that way until you said it. I have all these woods around, uh, running around in my grandma and granddaddy who love me. I got a whole chest full of rabbits I can play with any time I want. Does that sound poor to you?" And so she goes on to talk about her own reflections about this, and, and at the end. She says, ever since Duane ranged to my consciousness, I have wondered what it would be to be Christian in the community to hear ourselves praying for the rich as earnestly as we pray for the poor. For those in bondage to their assets, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those whose success is not satisfied, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the entitled and the uncomfortable, for the isolated and the elite, let us pray for the Lord. Lord, have mercy. I know that certain, uh, all I know that certain prayers like that would confront me in a way that prayers for the poor never do. I hear them over and over again that might even lead me into another reality where the categories such as first and last, rich and poor, lost and found begin to change places in my mind. At the very least, I'm very pretty sure that Dwayne and I can pray those prayers together and both say Amen at the end. Yeah. Great, as hers always are, a great peace.
3: Thank you, Charles. Great stuff. Don, what are your thoughts?
0: Back to exclusivity thinking and the barriers it puts up to the business of life. So everything I'll say is in opposition to thinking exclusively. And it's almost like the exclusive thinker, if you said to them, well, you know, the creek you live on is actually connected to a broad ecosystem of tributaries and a watershed. And you're like, no, I live on a creek, and it's right out my back door. I don't have any knowledge of something flowing to it or, or down from my creek. I can, I can throw gasoline in my creek, and it doesn't affect anybody else. So that's exclusivity thinking. And, I, Bill, I'm just really attracted always to w- whether he's changing now or not. Charles is challenging us to think about. He's going to change. He's in the process of changing. That it's he's getting back to work. Uh, so my, my summary is: get back to work and do it properly. And that's heartening to me because that's all I've got. Get back to work and do it properly. It's a, you know meditation on the ethic of living and thinking. Not exclusively, but understanding the systems that you affect. Bill, I think he talked about these folks have special agency in the world they live in. So do it in a more excellent way when you go back. Or he's been doing it, keep up the good work. Keep doing what you're doing. I remember Bill Wallace, who used to teach the lectionary class at Palm Presbyterian Church in Tampa uh, for generations. When this would come up, he would emphasize the 4X four times. So for Charles's position, going to 4x. Uh, I'm paraphrasing Bill, but it represents the violence done to individuals in society. That it's it's tied to uh, a number or um, the mass that is indicated how you are made whole. Whole isn't just restoration of what was lost. It takes 4x to heal. The violence that's been done to the fabric of the community. Or if he's already doing it, he's doing Forex, understanding the violence or potential violence that the systems can do, all coming back to him. And, I, and that gives me a perspective about what, what's, what's going on here and the answer to your question, Sarah. So it goes back to the a fabric of society and understanding what it looks like, kind of like the ecosystem. And seeing that instead of an exclusive view of what wealth looks like. So here's Jesus dealing with restoration in his ministry and healing, uh, unity. And uh, I think in a lot of ways, the 4X view is the role of the church. This may be what we're doing, that we see that we are charged with having a special view of what the fabric of life looks like, and the hard work, the daily hard work it takes for restoration. We can live and be together. I also want to highlight that I don't know how large his team is, this tax collector, but it's a big one. And so this is about the ecosystem of people. His behavior ripples through his own enterprise. And we're all, many of us who listen today are involved in enterprises or a, a number of enterprises or you're volunteering. You're part of a people system, and I think he sees that, too. Uh, I'll wrap up by saying I had the privilege of spending the last few days with some dear friends of mine I haven't seen for 30 years. And each one was working in a in – a, they're systems thinkers and they're people thinkers. Nothing ever came up about the assets it took to do their work, the platform that they run on, the money it takes. We never talked about that. What they talked about were the people, which were essential, the, the systems that they affected. One person was in, providing products that make our lives better and healthier. Another person is a very important person in the American justice system. And the third person is in defense and security and thinks about safety of us every day. But each one talked about the ecosystem and the people, and they had this field of vision. Never, wealth never came up. That, you know, it was a, there was kind of a stewardship in that. It was heartening. It was really heartening to hear that. So that's my best shot at an answer, Sarah.
3: So I have questions about home and about salvation and about being who you're supposed to be, where you're supposed to be doing it. And I, I like all these places um, that you've offered for me to walk with thinking. So thank you very much. Um, I think you're spot-on in that when you are thinking exclusively, you're not imagining the downstream impacts of what you do. They say if you want to solve a problem, you have to go upstream of the problem to see what is causing it and where it could be fixed. Um, One of the challenges that we have in places where water resources are scarce um, and natural disasters occur, um, right now they're seeing cholera in Haiti because so many people have, um, have not had access to clean water and don't have the resources to get into upstream systems for drinking water. So people are being exposed to E. coli in the water, and it's causing all kinds of problems. And I think that's part of our situation um, as human beings, if we are thinking exclusively, we don't imagine what other people cope with, what other people have to deal with because of what we do. And that doesn't look like home. That doesn't look like homecoming. That doesn't look like salvation to me. And and I want to posit the idea that home and homecoming are not a geographical location with people who are biologically the same as you or have the same um, last name, I think that the idea of home and homecoming have more to do with um, a metaphor for feeling safe, being cared for, um, and feeling included in things. Um, so I, I'm going to throw it out there that home is not a geographical locale, but it's a metaphor for something more. And that salvation occurs when your, your eyes are looking outward and not inward often. And that the fact that Zacchaeus is looking for Jesus says a lot. Um, it, the rich young ruler was also looking for Jesus. The rich young ruler didn't care for the response Jesus gave him, but Zacchaeus became overjoyed. So I think there's something to be said there for this idea of what do you value as home? And considering that, and it goes straight to the heart of the decision maker, I think that one of the challenges we all bear is there are moments where we want to lay across all the bird seed as the squirrel does and go, mine, 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 or. You know, I think the seagulls in Finding Nemo do a really good job of that, too. But this notion that there are days when we could offer to each other all the birdseed we have because the company is the most important thing, not the birdseed. And I think there's something to be said for the value of interaction and conversation and humanity that are given as gifts. So that being said leads me to my third question and this was a really hard one um, for me when does salvation arrive at the house of Zacchaeus Charles what do you think when does salvation arrive at, at the house of Zacchaeus
1: it was already there I love that answer thank you you're welcome.
3: What about you, Bill? When does, when does salvation arrive at the house of Zacchaeus?
2: Well, again, as I quoted, it seems obvious it says today, okay? Um, Sarah, for just a, a moment, I want to go back to question two. I was okay. listening to you folks, but it, it occurred to me to look At what follows this passage And it's the last thing that Luke records Before Jesus enters Jerusalem And it's the parable of the ten towns And to me that story Remember uh, one person did well Another did well One buried it And to me that parable says Take who you are Where you are And what you have And use it Don't compare yourself to others. Somebody else has more money than I or more agency. Uh, So I think that uh, applies to that, uh, at least for me, uh, applies to the question too. Anyway, to your question, uh, the obvious answer is it's, it's happening now, or as Charles says, it's already there. Matt Skinner, I alluded to this earlier, has an interesting suggestion in the Working Preacher podcast for this coming Sunday, he says that it's important that this story occurs where it does in Luke. And I've already noted, only Luke records this story. Now, what Matt Skinner suggests is that previously wealth and tax collectors are generally seen in a negative light. Last week, the tax collector is self-righteous. He's praying to God, thank you, God, that I'm not like other people and um, uh, the other ways in which wealth. And Jesus says it's very difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom. And I don't recall that Matt Skinner gave an answer. For me, Lou putting this here is a dramatic example of the rest of what Jesus said. He said, it's difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom. The people said, well, then who can be saved, to your question about salvation? And Jesus says, in all three accounts, humans can't pull it off, but God can. I'm I'm paraphrasing, obviously. So to me, Luke ends the journey narratives, or close to the end, With a powerful story of the grace of God at work in unexpected people and unexpected circumstances. God is full of surprises. And this is a minor detail of grammar. We are told that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, and Jesus chose to see Zacchaeus. It says Jesus looked up into the tree. I think that's the gospel that God wants to see us. And my closing comment, salvation is not defined here. A whole other question would be, what does salvation mean? And I think that leaves us to explore what it means for each of us in our lives. What is clear is that God is at work in surprising ways, which ironically are dismissed by the righteous. In verse 7 in this passage, all who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Assumedly, all who saw it included the disciples as well as others. That juxtaposing, I think, is, is powerful. And in the very last verse of this sentence, of this passage, for the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. And then he enters Jerusalem. Thank you for the question, Sarah.
3: Um, Don, what do you think?
0: I'm thinking, well, first of all, my first, I've written down, it already has. So I was with my friend Charles Willard. But it is already happening as well. Because you have to look, you, I think with salvation, you can look at it through a timeless lens. And you can look at it through a, through a today lens. I think we, I get what this Passage says we get to do both. So it already has. So you can think about the promise. It's going to happen. God, this is going to happen. Jesus has set his aside on Jerusalem. Nothing's going to stop him. It. it has and it will. And in this way, the acting out of the new way of looking at the business of life, whatever our enterprise the daily work is, that is the work, uh, looks towards the church looks towards, Bill, you're talking about this is the last stop along the way to Jerusalem. It looks towards the cross. So I think there's something here for everybody on a timeless basis. The promise is not finished yet, but for all times this promise is going to be kept. I like the simplicity of the work is already being done. You could call it a mini-advent related to salvation. The taste, the feel of salvation is the knitting together of the fabric of life which has been damaged and it requires 4X work in order to make it right. I can feel it. So if salvation is to come, I can feel it. It's there. If salvation has taken place, I believe Charles, it already has. It's living, breathing every day, being aware that your enterprise might be different than you think it is. The way you touch people and what you're doing might be really different. So I, I think what, what concerns me is in, in in the world today, if someone is, is doing the 4X work and if they're inspiring the people they work with to think differently, to think about the people and the fabric of life around them. I know a lot of leaders like that. Thank God they're out there every day inspiring and motivating people to do these kinds of things in their enterprise. If they had the wrong title, would I ever see what they're doing? If tribalism would separate me, American tribalism, from seeing behind the scenes what they're really doing, I'm sorry to say I might get caught up in that in that superficial way. What is that title? Who are they? You know, how do we characterize them? Do we really see the business of life behind the scenes? And does it mean I can't see salvation? Can I not taste the the work of the Christ? I'm I'm not sure, but I think there's a warning in, in there for me. But uh, I'll wrap up, Sarah, just by saying. I'm excited that the business of life is the center of the universe, and what we're called to do. I just hope that and pray I can do it in a more excellent way. We can do start every day like that. I pray I can do it more in an excellent way today. Thanks, Sarah.
3: Um, this year, our stewardship theme at church is um, a quote from Zephaniah that talks about, "I will gather you and bring you home," and that. Colored my thinking as I was moving through this particular study, Um, I will say that one of my most favorite benedictions goes like this, depart in the fellowship of God the Father and as you go, remember, you were born in this world, By by the goodness of God you were born in this world, by the grace of God you've been kept all the day long, and by the love of God fully revealed in the face of Jesus, you are being redeemed, even to this day. So, that being said,
0: Don, back to you. Thank you. Well, this was a lot of fun. It's always good to get back to this to this passage. Uh, palmacea Presbyterian Church, the church that makes this podcast possible, is at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We commend that site to you for... Great sermons, meditations, prayers, study of scripture, disagreements like we have on this podcast sometimes, encouragements, outstanding music, opportunities to participate in communion. So check that out. And you're always welcome. And we'll see you next time.